Uh, today we're going to wrap up our series uh, on the life of Samson. If you've got a Bible and want to go ahead and jump there, it's, it's Judges chapter 16. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the, the, the text here in a moment. But as we're getting there, uh, just kind of to recap this series a little bit, if you've been here throughout, uh, it's kind of a a bit of a uh, refresher for you if you've not. Basically, what we've looked at with Samson is this man who probably more than anybody else in the Bible, we see he just falls so hard. I mean, people in the Bible, you know, they, they have sins, they have faults, they fall. But man, Samson, it's like he just does it over and over again. And when he falls, he falls hard. He falls a long, long way. And yet, in the end, Samson is looked at as a hero. And it's kind of an interesting story. And what we said that Samson had uh, kind of this, this divinely God-given strength, but he didn't know what to do with it. And in particular, Samson was trapped by three attitudes that uh, can make strong men weak today, and that is that he struggled with lust. He said, I want it. He struggled with entitlement, saying, I deserve this. He struggled with pride, saying, I can handle this. And that was his attitude with everything, and and nothing got in his way. Uh, The second week, we talked about how Samson was fueled by his emotions. Uh, He let emotions lead him rather than the Spirit. And saying, guys, not to say we should ignore emotions, but we can't let emotion be our driving factor. And in particular, for a lot of guys, for Samson, the two emotions that drew, uh, drove him more than any others were pride and anger. That pushed him uh, to make a lot of decisions that he might not have otherwise made. Last week, we talked about how we don't uh, typically just say, God, I'm done following you and walk away. We tend to do it a little bit at a time. We just slowly drift away, uh, kind of one small step at a time. <clears throat> But again, despite all of his faults, Samson is ultimately uh, considered a hero. Uh, We said this this about Samson from the very beginning. He was a man with incredible outer strength, but very little self-control. But what's fascinating is is you read this, and Samson has, has again, fallen into those same traps. Last week we said that Samson uh, ignored obvious warning signs, and he he was justifying, rationalizing his sin over and over. And you'd think, man, what, what, a, what a jerk. This guy just threw everything away. God gave him everything and he threw it away. Why is he somebody we should even talk about anymore? What's well, kind of interesting is when you get closer to the end of your Bible and you look in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, uh, the writer is, is just listing off all of these heroes of the Old Testament. And we're seeing names like Moses and Noah. And, and, and uh, we're seeing names like Abraham and Sarah. And, and in the middle of all of this, Isaac is mentioned. And he goes on and on. And down in verse 32, he rattles off a list of names. Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, David, Samuel, Samson. He's listed right there with David of all people, the man after God's own heart. So Samson, through all of this, is ultimately going to be considered a hero, yet if you remember where we left off last week in in Judges 16, verse 20 and 21, he's bound, he's shackled, he's tied up, Uh, he's basically sentenced to, to this massive grinding wheel for the rest of his life, he's there for public humiliation, for the entertainment of the Philistines. And, and to make it even worse, insult to injury, they've like shaved his head. He's probably bound naked to this thing, and they have taken his eyes out. And if the nature of sounding too graphic, a lot of uh, scholars don't think they just gouged his eyes out, but rather they took a hot iron and burned them out. Either way, it's not pleasant. I mean, I, I get irritated when I have an eyelash on my eye. I'm sure you can think of this too, right? A fleck of dust in your eye, and, and you're done for, Right? But here's Samson. 
And, and let's, let's kind of put ourselves in Samson's sandals here for a second, because if this is you, if, if you're stuck in this particular situation, you probably feel pretty hopeless, right? You're probably looking at this, and, and what are you thinking? You're probably looking back going, you know what, I might have messed up a time or two. And you're at a spot where, where there's not much there for you. How many of you, and I don't want to show of hands, I just want you to think about this, but how many of you have, have reached a point, maybe at some time in your life, when you have, have looked at it and you go, you know what, I really messed up. And I've messed up so much that, man, I just don't know if I can, I can fix this anymore. Maybe it's simple. Maybe you just said something you shouldn't have said. Maybe you did something you shouldn't have done. You know, we've, we've all been there, right? But, but how many of you, have, it's become a pattern where, where now you're to the point and you're like, you're, you kind of feel like Samson, you're just stuck there and you're like, I, I'm not getting out of this. I'm not getting out of this. I, I imagine Samson, and I don't know how long this goes on. I don't know how long he, he, he's there at this, this grinding wheel. It could have been months. It could have been years. I, I just don't know. It doesn't really say. But I wonder how many of you have been just kind of mired and stuck in the result of your failures. And, and you've been there for a while, and suddenly you start looking at yourself, and you start seeing somebody of less value than you used to see. Because guys, ladies, both of us, we do this. We look at ourselves, we, we look for value. And we do this differently. Ladies, you typically find value in relationships. You find value in how you and other people can, can merge together. My wife's a great example of this. Her, her mom's here with her this weekend, and, and um, my wife, almost every single day, is on the phone talking to her mom or to her sisters. She's got a mom and one sister back in Oklahoma, one sister down in Southern California. She talks to them all the time. You know how often I talk to my brother on the phone? And I'm close with my brother. You know how often I talk to him on the phone? About once every five months. We text every once in a while, but we just don't talk. Like, hey, what are you doing, you know? How's it going? I mean, we don't do that, right? We... That's, that's different. Guys, we don't put our value in relationships as much. We put our value in accomplishments more. What we've done. And I don't mean this from a pride standpoint. I don't mean to say, hey, look at all these great, amazing things I've done. You know, you should revere me. No, we, we're proud of what we did, though. We're, we're, you know, we, we work hard, and, and we're, 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 we're thankful to see the fruits of that. And even to some degree, our families, our kids, we kind of view somewhat as an accomplishment. Hey, you see, what my, you see what my daughter did last week? We, we, we brag about our, 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 our lives, and it's, again, it's not from a proud, boastful standpoint, but that's just where we find our value. Samson is here, and suddenly he's got nothing. This man had everything, and now he's got nothing. He's bound to grinding grain for the rest of his life. And here's kind of what I think, guys, a lot of us land on. If we do indeed put our value in accomplishments, and I think a lot of us do, then here's what we, we, we kind of land on. Our, our greatest fear, men, often is failure. And our greatest pain is regret. I could ask you guys, w- without having anybody say a word or raise a hand, how many of you have or have at some point have some regret in your life? Probably a lot of us. Maybe you still do. Maybe it's still there. Maybe you still have that. 
And, and here's the thing, a lot of us will see this, and, and especially when we start seeing how other people, men, how other guys have succeeded at different things, we start looking at failure as, as a measuring stick to somebody else. Well, I haven't done what, what, what you know, Greg's done or what Jerry's done in my life. Man, I just don't measure up. You look at, what, look at what Jaime can do. I can't do all this, so man, I must be a failure. Or you say, man, they've got the perfect marriage and I don't. Man, he, he's, God's blessed him in ways he hasn't blessed me. I'm just a failure, man. Or maybe, maybe right now you're just really stuck and caught up in something you know you're not supposed to be stuck and caught up in and you just cannot get out of it. And you're like, God doesn't want to use me because I'm a failure. Kurt, you have no idea the stuff in my history. You have no idea what I have done. God could not use me. I'm not a failure. I'm not like you. I don't have it all together. I hear that all the time. Man, I wish I had it all together like he was like, no, you really don't. My high school students, you say, I can't wait to be a grown-up like you. I said, I'll trade you places for a week. We'll see. I'd love to go back to no responsibilities. <laughs> but how many of us, we get into this boat and, and there's this misconception, God cannot use somebody like me. God can't use a failure like me. And if that's you, if, if you've got this attitude of God could never use somebody like me, I'm going to be very honest, you've not read your Bible. Because when you do, you will see page after page somebody who is messed up just like you, and God is using them to accomplish something spectacular. From the very beginning of your Bible, you read about Noah. Good grief, Noah had some issues. Noah had some self-control issues. He was an addict. He was a drunk. We read about uh, uh, Moses. Moses, the deliverer of Israel. Might be the most insecure person in the Bible. No, God, I can't do this. I mean, he had excuse after excuse after excuse. Moses didn't want to do it. David, the man after God's own heart, was an adulterer and a murderer. Uh, You get into the New Testament, it doesn't change. We read about Zacchaeus. He's greedy. He's money and power hungry. We read about Peter, one of the inner three. Where do we start with Peter? Good grief. It was a coward. I mean, Jesus is on trial. I will never leave you, Lord. Then what's he saying? I don't know who that guy is. I've never seen him before in my life. We read about Paul, a man who launched more churches than anybody in, in the first century. A man who wrote, uh, from, from a, <clears throat> just in terms of number of books and letters, the most of our New Testament. Paul was a murderer. And Paul will flat out tell you, I was the worst of all sinners. You think God can't use you because you lied to somebody one time? Because you cheated somebody or stole something from somebody one time? Get reality, man. God can use anybody. Your failure does not define you in the eyes of God. And, And we don't even have to look at the Bible. You can just look at the last century of American history, and you can see people who were spectacular failures, and they would never be defined by that. Henry Ford declared bankruptcy three times before Ford Motor Company launched. Uh, Walt Disney, this one killed me, Walt Disney was fired from the Kansas City Star newspaper. He was a cartoonist. He was fired for he lacked imagination. (laughs) Oprah Winfrey was a TV news personality. She was fired. You know why? The boss told her, I don't think you're fit for TV. She's only gone on to build an empire. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team twice because he was uncoordinated and wasn't very good. 
And now he's widely considered to be the greatest athlete of all time. In fact, Michael Jordan had this quote to say towards the end of his career. Somebody asked him why he was so successful, and here was his his response. He said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I have been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. None of those people, none of those people let failure define them And what we see from Samson is it's the same thing. Your failure does not define you just because you have failed at something does not label you as a failure. In fact, we'll say it this way. Failure is an event. It's never a person. Failure is something that you have done. It's not who you are. So you got your Bible. Go ahead and and jump there into Judges 16, and we're going to look at Samson at where he's at with his story. Remember, he's bound, he is defeated, his eyes are gone, his strength is gone, he's never getting off of this massive, massive grinding wheel. And here's kind of his situation. Verse 23, it says, Now the Philistine leaders gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to their god Dagon. They rejoiced and they said, Our god has handed us over our enemy Samson to us. When the people saw him, they praised their God and said, Our God has handed over to us our enemy who destroyed our land and who multiplied our dead. When they were in good spirits, they said, Bring Samson here to entertain us. So they brought Samson from prison, and he entertained them. Now think about this for a second. This is Samson, the great warrior, the great judge. And what is he now? He's nothing but an entertainment piece. And they bring him out for entertainment, and all they're doing is, is making him try to do things that are like, you know, show off how strong he is, and it's just to humiliate him, because they know he can't do it anymore. But this, this is where Samson's at. And again, maybe this has been you, maybe you have been bound into this, this mold of, of, I mean, Samson, all he can do is sit and think at this point. And, and here's where we catch ourselves a lot of times, we are stuck in this mold of what we feel like is just total failure. And when we are there, just like Samson is, we typically get one of two responses. There's two natural responses to failure. The first, the most natural and easiest response, is regret. And regret typically uh, means we beat up ourselves or we beat up others. And often I see in the midst of failure, we have, we kind of take this one of two ways. We pile it all on ourselves or we pile it all on somebody else. You know, we, we, we pile it on ourselves and we just go, man, I'm a, I'm horrible. I'm a terrible person. I can't believe I said that. God, man, I hate myself for that. We just beat ourselves up. Or, like, well, it's not my fault. No, no, she tempted me. It wasn't my fault. No, they, they ratted me out. They were, just as much, they were just as guilty as I was. We're not going to go down alone. We're going to go down swinging, right? A little scorched earth. <laughs> That's one of our responses is regret. We beat ourselves up and we beat up other people. But the better response isn't regret. The better response is repentance. The, 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 the difference in regret and repentance is with repentance, we own the mistake and we move past it. We own what we did and we move on. It's saying, you know what? I messed this up and I'm sorry. And I want to try to fix this with you. But we, 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 we take this and we, we, we say, you know what? You trusted me and I messed that up. God trusted me with this and I blew it. That's repentance. 
That's, it's just a different perspective of how we look at failure. It's being honest. My, my soccer players, I used to tell them all the time, say, you know, when you mess up on the field, and you're going to mess up. We were not a, a very talented team. So you're going to mess up. I said, I don't, I'm not going to beat you up for this, but I said, there are two responses that I do not want to see. I don't want to see you beating yourself up over this on the field, because we had some girls who would do that. They'd, they'd whiff and miss a kick and, and shoot it off to the side when they were supposed to pass it this way, and they just beat themselves up. I'm like, the play's still happening. <laughs> Go. Or they'd just laugh and giggle it off. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. Like, neither one of those is appropriate, Okay. Go chase the ball down. After the game, we'll fix the mistake, okay? Those are our two responses, though. Regret, repentance. See, here's the thing we have to understand is that when you've messed up, you cannot unsin. Okay, you, you can't undo it, but you can repent. Okay, you can't unsleep with that person. You can't untake those drugs. You can't undo that lie. Okay, you, you, you can't un, un, unsee what you saw on a computer screen. You can't unsin, but you can repent. You can own the mistake, and you can move away from it. You can ask God to bring you away from it. See, here's the problem. Too often, the difference in regret and repentance is regret, it's like looking back into the past and living in the past. Repentance is looking into the future. Let me ask you a question. How many of you ever go on a, a road trip and you do it in reverse looking through the rearview mirror? You could, I guess, if you really like to live dangerously, but you don't. We don't drive backwards to get where we want to go. We drive backwards to get away from what we're trying to get away from sometimes, temporarily. No, you drive forward to get where you want to go. You don't look backwards, you look forward. But here's the trick, and, and this is the thing that I think a lot of you will understand, some folks don't, is that when it comes to getting away from a sinful lifestyle and getting to an, a lifestyle of repentance, we have to understand one of those ways is very easy and one of those ways is very hard. The sinful lifestyle is easy. It's like running downhill. You just have to get a little momentum and boom, you're off and going. Sinful lifestyle is easy. It is so easy to just look on a computer screen and see an image and be hooked. It is so easy uh, to, to get a hit of some kind of substance and be hooked. It is so easy to lie and cheat and steal. It is so easy to hurt other people and not care about it. And it's getting easier and easier. The sinful lifestyle is easy. And why is it easy? Because the sinful lifestyle can be fun. Some of you are looking at me funny and like, no, you're, what are you talking about? Sin's not fun. If sin's not fun, you're not doing it the right way. Let's just be honest, right, okay? It's downhill. But the repentant lifestyle, getting back closer to God, that takes effort. That's like running uphill. I'll see people every once in a while. I got a, a pastor buddy in town who's a runner. He likes to go run the hills. So I'll see him running up a hill. I'm like, dude, you're insane. Like, you need help. Okay, nope, nobody actually does that who's got a sane mind. I don't, I don't get it. People like to run up and down the hills. Running up a hill is supposed to be hard. That's the reason he does it. He needs a challenge. Biking up a hill is supposed to be hard. Driving up a steep grade is harder on your vehicle than driving down a steep grade. 
Going uphill is always harder. It's not supposed to be easy. But guys, let me ask you a question. What is it that you can accomplish in life that is easy? Everything we accomplish that's worth accomplishing is supposed to be challenging. That's what makes it an accomplishment. Promotions at work. Getting in better physical shape. You want to go uh, run a a 5K or a half marathon. I'm not just going to hop off my couch and go do that. I've got to work for it. Everything requires effort that's worth doing. So let me ask you this question. If those things are, are worth doing, why is your spiritual health not worth putting in the effort for? Shouldn't it be? Shouldn't we put as much effort into that? I'm not talking about salvation. That, that's a free gift. I'm talking about working and earning your salvation. But getting stronger to avoid rolling back down the hill takes effort. John Maxwell said it this way, he said, people have uphill hopes but downhill habits. I mean, I heard that quote and I'm like, whoa, dude, what do you know about me? (laughs) Never met you before and and you just flat out, you nailed me. Based on your reactions, I think he nailed some of you all too. So, So how do we shift this? How do we shift our perspective to where our natural inclination is not to run downhill, it's to run uphill? It's simply a shift in focus. It's it's the mindset that no matter how far down this hill I've gone, I am still worth something to God. I still have value to God, and I can still be used by God. No matter how far down this hill I've run, no matter how far I am from the top and how long it's going to take to run back up there, God can still use me. That's the attitude that has to happen. And you have to want that. You have to want to run back up that hill. Here's Samson's response. Look in verse uh, 20, 26, actually the very end of verse 25. Remember, they've brought him out, and the end of verse 25, it says, they had him stand between the pillars. Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, <clears throat> lead me where I can feel uh, the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against them. The temple was full of men and women. All the leaders of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. And he called out to the Lord, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me, God, just once more. Change of perspective. Samson, for once, is not making this all about him. For once, I mean, you think about all the stuff Samson has accomplished, and yes, it says the Spirit of the Lord came down upon him and he accomplished something great, but these things were really for, for his own glory. I mean, ripping the lion in half, that's pretty cool and all, but probably other ways to hunt a lion. You know, killing 30 men out of, out of revenge, just because he was, he was mad, then killing a thousand more out of even more revenge. You know, those are things Samson is doing kind of for himself, but for once... He's taking the focus off of himself and off of his own situation and he's looking to God saying, God, use me. Use me the way you want to use me here. What this this makes me think is that wherever you're at, no matter how far down that hill you are, you may be down but you were never out. And no matter what your situation is, no matter how how big the mountain of failures around you, you are never, ever beyond the scope and the reach of God. And you're never beyond being used by God. I'm always amazed at the people God uses in my life. It's never the people I would expect Him to use. And often it's people who are far away from Him. God's using them and they don't even realize it. 
Imagine if they would just open their hearts to let him work. What could be accomplished for God through them? Samson's telling us that when, when a man is down, he's never out as long as he's willing to turn to God. And what I love about this is Samson walks up and he goes, would you just let me lean against these pillars? And he's leaning here. And what we see are these two pillars are, are not just uh, you know, literal in the story, but they're symbolic. Because there's two things that we can do as well, two pillars, if you will, that we can grasp in the midst of our failure. The first is forgiveness. It's saying, I, I am forgiven. God will forgive wherever you're at, if you're willing. I've been, been studying a lot in 1 John lately. 1 John uh, chapter 1, I love this verse when uh, John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's no clarification on this. This doesn't say he will forgive us except for these things. In fact, the Bible says there's only one sin that is unforgivable. And it's called, called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is a really fancy way of just saying you're totally apathetic towards God. And if you're concerned about forgiveness from God, you're not being apathetic. So wherever you are, no matter what amount of sin you're buried under right now, you are never beyond the forgiveness of God. You simply, all you have to do is accept it. John says if we confess our sins... He's faithful, and he's just, and he will forgive us. But here's the second pillar uh, that we can grasp in the midst of our failure. It's this, this confidence that God can strengthen me again. Okay, Samson has had his, his strength taken away, literally. They cut his hair. Now he, is, he, he can't even uh, you know, break free from, from uh, a rope like he once did. But listen to the rest of his story. I don't, I don't have it on the screen. I want you just to listen to it. Verse 29, it says, Samson took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple, and he leaned against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it. And those he killed at his death were more than those he killed in his life. I think Samson's going down here in a bit of a blaze of glory, right? But he's accomplishing a great victory for God on the way out. And for once, Samson's like, I don't care. You know, I'm not trying to get some big prize and trophy off this. God, I want to I win a battle for you. These people have, have hurt your people, and I want, I want you to, to unleash your wrath on them, and I'll, I will be the vessel for that. Samson sacrifices himself, and God gives him his strength back. He, he returns his strength to him because he's forgiven, because he's humbled. And, and here's, here's kind of the, the point behind all of this that I want you to understand. It is never too late to do what God wants you to do. You might have been running from God for years. It is never too late to stop and turn and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm here though. You always go back to the story of the prodigal son where the son comes running home after running away from years and the father runs out to greet him. That is us and God. We have run and, and, and gone away and God has been in pursuit of us the entire time. He has been in pursuit of us all along and it is never too late to stop and say, God, I'm tired of running. Please, just, just do what you want to do through me. No amount of sin in your life 
will ever change that. Because the minute you stop and you turn back to him, and you're like, God, I'm, I'm done. I'm a sinner. I can't do this anymore. Please forgive me. You're washed. You're clean. You may be down, but you are never out. Wherever you are at today, whatever amount of sin you're buried under today, it does not matter. If you're willing to turn to God, it does not matter. Proverbs 24, it says, Though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get up. I don't know if that's you. Maybe, maybe you've lived that. Maybe you're like the proverbial cat and you're on your ninth life. <laughs> Some of you would say, yeah, yeah, I can, I, can, I can testify to this verse because, man, I've fallen over and over and over and God's helped me up every time. Maybe, though, you're in, like, fall number three and you're still down. Maybe that's you today. God is here to help you up. The church is here to help you up. But there's a set of questions I need to ask you, and I want you to answer these. These are kind of a takeaway, but I want you to answer these questions maybe today, maybe over the course of this week. But the first question you need to answer is this. What pillars do I need to push over today? Samson pushed over two big pillars. So what are the pillars that you need to push over today? Maybe it's, maybe it's pride, anger, Greed, lust, addiction, jealousy. I, I don't know. I don't know what your pillars are. Regret, addiction. So what pillars do you need to push over? The second question that you need to answer is this. What are you willing to run uphill for? What are you willing to turn and start running uphill to work hard towards? Family, relationships, friends, career, future, maybe just overall spiritual health. What are you willing to do that and to work for? And the third question is who are you willing to ask to run that race with you? Who are you willing to say, hey, I need help on this race. I need, I need accountability. I need, need a, I need a workout partner. I need somebody to encourage me and challenge me along this way. Who are you willing to ask to do that? If you are willing to say, yes, I want to start running uphill, I have three promises for you that go with that. The first promise is it will not be easy. You were expecting a good promise, weren't you? It will not be easy. Anything that's worth accomplishing that we can do on our, on our own is hard. Your spiritual health falls into that category. We, we accomplish that with the help of God. The second question, or the second, second promise is this, it will require daily work. One of our core values is that we will relentlessly pursue a deeper and transforming relationship with God. Last week at the camp, I said one of the things that, that we can do to avoid taking those small steps away from God is we spend every day in our word, every day reading the word of God. Maybe it's a five-minute devotional. Maybe it's an hour-long Bible study. I don't know, but you need to be in the Bible every day. You need to be in prayer every day. Some way, somehow, talking to God, listening to God. And you need to be surrounded by other strong believers on a regular basis. I want you surrounded by unchurched people, too, because I want to reach the unchurched. But to grow, we need to be around people who are strong as well. But the third promise that I have for you is that yes, it'll be hard, yes, it requires daily work, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Jesus came to save us, 
to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to give us a full life. Jesus came to serve us. And often we don't take advantage of that, of any of those. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at, God can use you. He wants to. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful. We are so thankful, Lord, that you do not give up on us no matter what our situation in life is. God, that you are are always in pursuit of us. And God, that no matter what I've done in my past to this point, Lord, you don't see that and define me. You see me, a child that you created. You see me, a child created in your image. And because of that, Lord, you see a precious and valuable person. And God, you see the same thing when you look at everybody else here. So God, I pray that we wouldn't look into our own lives, into our own past. God, we would never get this idea that that, that Jesus went to the cross and it didn't have any impact on us. But God, we would realize that that blood that he shed is is more powerful and, and stronger, Lord, God, than anything I can do here. And that I just need to reach out and and accept it, Lord. So God, if anybody today is feeling like they do not deserve you, like they are not worthy for, for, to, to work in your kingdom, they're not worthy to serve you, God, you would just tell them that's a lie of the enemy. That's a lie the enemy tells you to get you away from here. And you would show them love, you would show them peace, you would show them, God, acceptance in your kingdom. God, I pray today for any heart that is struggling. God, that we could be an encouragement. We could, we could be a friend and a challenger to bring that person closer to you. God, we're so thankful for Jesus, for his blood. We pray in his name. Amen.